Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you, sir? Doing well. Ready uh, ready to get into the guest we have later for the first of our Big 12 Breakdown series. Excited about that. How are you? Uh, I am doing great. I am excited as well. It's a nice reprieve for our listeners from, from you and I. You know, they're, they're getting a break from, from our voices and hearing another one. Um, if you haven't heard, Sam Bradshaw from Sikkim 365 is going to be joining us later in the show. Really excited about that and excited to kick this conference preview off with Baylor um, yeah. obviously being, I mean, we don't, we don't even need to say it, but being the team that knocked off Oklahoma state in the big Twelve title game um, and being the first conference game for Oklahoma state this year, this is an interesting one. And um, what better way to kick off this preview than with Sam? I think he's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll give Sam a little bit more of an intro when he for gets sure. on and just a little caveat, Kate, I know we kind of mentioned this, I think last week, but some of these, depending on guest scheduling, some of these will record our, our part of the podcast before, some will record after. So we'll try to get it to where we can record the guests and then you and I can break it down after. This one we had to record with Sam a little bit late in the day. So we're going to have, we're doing, we're recording this part first. So we're not going to be able to come on and really break it down much after, but we can talk about it some next week. And then 100%. I think in next week's pod, we'll actually do the breakdown after the guest, if that yeah. makes sense. It does. You get to see how the sausage is made right there. Dustin just told you. Sometimes you hear something, but that didn't mean it happened in consecutive order. Welcome to podcasting. Um, but no, Dustin, that's a great point because there will be some episodes we do get to come back and break down some uh, some of what the guest said, but this is not going to be one of those episodes. So um, again, you nailed it. Look forward to talking to Sam and, and getting to hear more about him. If you, and if you don't follow him already on Twitter, he's a great follow. But again, we'll get to that later in the pod. Dustin, a few things to kind of jump through some housekeeping uh, before we do get to Sam and some listener questions. Um, really quickly, just some updates. Obviously, tomorrow starts Big 12 Media Days. We're doing the podcast now, so we obviously won't be able to cover that. One interesting note is that Brennan Evers, my boy, your boy, also will be joining Oklahoma State down there uh, in addition to Spencer Sanders, Brennan Presley, Brock Martin, and Tyler Lacey. So um, we won't get to break that down this week, but we will get to do that next week. Um, so look for that discussion next week. It, Dustin, just one thing. I think Mike Gundy's going to be the star of the show tomorrow. I really do. Yeah, he just seems so juiced up this offseason. We've seen it before. We saw with, what was it, 2017 when – he, he knew the offense was going to be really good. Mason Rudolph, James Washington, all those guys. So you saw him with a little pep in his step in the offseason. You talked about on the last podcast, whenever he gets the mullet going, you can always tell something something's brewing in that old brain of his. So I think he's going to – he's probably going to have some good quotes, make some people laugh. And who knows, he may say something really quotable that, you know, a team uses as bulletin board material. He may – something that may – 
say something that makes no sense. He may talk maybe, about like wrestling an alligator. Maybe something that gets in our podcast intro. I mean, who knows? Yes. Who knows? Yes, exactly. Um, I am really excited to see what he has to say as he takes the podium because the topic of the day is not like it's going to be football, but it's realignment. And I don't expect him to be all that filtered. Obviously, I don't expect him to go off on any tangents, but I think we're going to get an unfiltered look at what Mike Gundy thinks about realignment, because if they're, if the reporters are there doing their job, they're going to ask, I mean, how do you feel about all this with Oklahoma state potentially being the uh, uh, flagship program in the new big 12, you know, I, I would expect some really good deep insight into what Mike Gundy thinks about all this. And personally, I'm not normally excited for big 12 media day. I am excited to see what he has to say there as again, as kind of the, the, um, the leader of the new big 12 uh, is what Mike Gundy is. So anyway, I, just, just a quick note there. So, and it, it'll be uh Brett Yormark's first public appearance, I believe yeah. as well, man, that's going to be fun. It may be. Okay. You got me fired up. It might be fun. <laughs> Maybe they're going to announce that they've absorbed the pac 12. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we'll, we'll definitely get some solid coach speak from all the coaches. Oh, um, I mean, hopefully Gundy gives, gives us a little bit more like we're talking about, but yeah, we'll definitely get our, uh, our fair helping of that. So that will be um, boring and annoying. Yeah. Just hopefully no talk of any dirty hard work being done in the dark. Like Brent yes, loves to that, say, uh, so yeah, if we could just freaky. leave that, if we could just leave that one uh, <laughs> off the table, that would be great. Um, Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, just a couple of other quick updates, Dustin. The turf going in in Boone Pickens Stadium. We still don't know what it's going to look like. I bet by the time we post this tomorrow, somehow we're going to know. But, um, I mean, are you waffling on anything? Are you expecting anything different than what we've talked about? Because it's kind of a big topic right now. Well, I saw Pokes report. I saw Robert Allen report that it's going to be the brand logo at midfield. And the end zone designs are going to be similar to what they had there previously. I don't know exactly what that means because it could be similar color scheme, but maybe cursive Cowboys. I think they may just keep it exactly how it was. That would be a little disappointing. I know you and I were thinking and hoping for the cursive Cowboys. So that's not the news I was looking for, but apparently the, I, I mean, you saw from the pictures, we talked about it last week on Twitter, the, the field looks great. It's like a very vibrant green. So yeah. that'll be really cool, but it'll be disappointing if there's no cursive on there. I don't think, I mean, I'm not going to be that mad about it, but <laughs> right. It's more about what cry. happens on the field, not the yeah. field itself. Um, this is a not fields like 45, but um, no, I, I agree with you. I think it would be disappointing for most if there was no cursive Cowboys. I mean, if you look back at some of the conversations on Twitter, I mean, uh, OSU football was like asking for opinions and voting on, on mock-ups. And if they were to just do the same thing, that would be kind of, uh, kind of boring, but it, this isn't a, a turf podcast. So um, curious to see what happens there, but I, I won't be losing much sleep over it as I know you won't uh, either. Dustin. And it, it sounds like the rest of the renovation on Boone Pickens stadium is stadium is currently all underway and should be finished soon. But, the locker rooms, apparently, the work that's being done there has apparently been a little delayed. I think it was supposed to be done after July 4th, and now it's looking like kind of right before the season starts, fall camp time, it'll be done. But everything in the Sherman Smith uh, Training Center, the practice facility is done. They've got, I know they've got like new heating in there. 
they've got the new playing surface in there on outside. So that'll all be really cool. Yeah, no, love it. Great breakdown there, Dustin. Um, Okay, going to flip it over to you for a couple of summer practice updates. We talked a little bit about this off air, but uh, maybe run us through kind of the latest on what we're hearing out of, out of uh, Stillwater. Yeah, so like we talked about, they're still in the, the workout phase of summer camp that everybody, I'm sure, enjoys with their 6.30 a.m. stadium steps. <laughs> I, thinking about that hurts my bot, like makes me sore. Yeah, it makes me feel weak because yeah. uh, that's not something I would want to do. Um, and these guys just, they, they don't have a choice. It's either you do it or see ya. Yeah, no, I just not, not something that feels like 45 podcasts would be able to handle. <laughs> Although if someone were to, you know, pay us or something like that, I'm sure we could do a video of us running the stadium steps, if but you wanna, if, wants any sponsors, you want to know some great content would be us trying to keep up with, with some of the players running oh. up the stadium steps. That would be great Twitter content. I'll see if I can it, organize that. It'd be pretty embarrassing. So, I mean, may, maybe do, but, you know, maybe don't. How maybe many do you think you could make? I mean, you're in pretty good shape. I, I've been trying. Uh, how many do you think you could make? They're doing like the whole total thing. Total steps? How many? No, I, can, I don't think I could go all the way up. I have trouble getting to my seat, and I'm going down the steps. Yeah, see, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. I mean, these guys are running the whole stadium. Yeah. It's outrageous. I'm not, yeah, I can do it, but they're, uh, all the guys are in workouts and everything. You know, apparently a lot of people have been throwing weight around my guy. I say his name. I think every podcast, we maybe need to get him. I feels like 45 NIL, but Nathan mm. Latou apparently is the strongest man in the world. So that's awesome. A couple of interesting notes. I saw, um, one from pokes report is that Tyrone Weber has been working it in the weight room. He looks good. Robert Allen says is saying he's banking on him taking that starting left guard spot opposite Hunter Woodard, who wow. will be on the right side. So that's some big time news. It sounds like Taylor Matirko is going to go in with the ones at the other guard, and that'll be kind of his spot to lose with Jason Queso Brooks, and then obviously Tyrone Weber being a newcomer. They'll kind of fight for that in fall camp. And then you and I have been hearing that Jake Springfield has looked really good at right tackle. And it sounds like it may be a little bit harder for Casey Collier to take that spot from him or even a Jason Brooks than we, we initially thought. And, you know, Kate, that's something we talked about in our offensive line breakdowns mm-hmm. that we've done maybe 300 times. And whenever you, <laughs> I'm about to do it again, whenever you and I start talking about offensive line, it seems to go on for a long time, but I know we have a little bit of a time constraint, so I won't, but Springfield, the one knock on him that we've had has kind of been his strength. He's pretty technically sound, and he seems to be in the right spot. It was more an athleticism and strength thing. So if he's able to improve on that some, I think this is a guy you feel good about at right tackle if that can happen. I I think that's the question. If that can happen, sure, I I feel really good about it. And we we did talk about this because – my point was if Casey Collier is good enough to come in and play, you're already better on the offensive line because you know what you had in Jake Springfield. But if Casey Collier is good enough to play now, then then you're better on the offensive line. But, I mean, shoot, if that's not the case and it's not really even a knock on Springfield, that would be, that would be good news because of his familiarity with the system, uh, familiarity with the guy next to him and Hunter Woodard. So um, something to watch out for there. I, I would – expect i mean we know how much gundy likes to reward loyalty even if it's not exactly 
his unit, maybe not as much oversight into the offensive line. I'm sure that there's part of that, that familiarity with the system that's playing in here too, especially if he's killing it in workouts. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, hundred percent. And the thing is, you know, they, they thought he was the guy last year. Yeah, they did. You know, Preston Wilson took over what seven games into the season. So the coaching staff obviously thinks this guy's a really good offensive lineman. If he can improve on his athleticism, his quickness, his strength, I'm not sure how much you can improve on the, maybe the quickness and overall athleticism this far into your college career, but the strength you can always improve. So if he, if he's able to do those things and you've got a solid Jake Springfield out there at right tackle and you feel good about him, then I'm feeling a lot better about this offensive line, but you know, those are all big ifs we'll kind of see. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and I, I know better than to, to uh, push back on the offensive line. You kind of gave it to me on Twitter this week <laughs> as, as I was giving Jalen Warren some credit uh, with his uh, performance <laughs> against Texas. All you said was no credit to the O-line. I'm like, okay, you're right, Dustin, but sheesh. <laughs> no, I was just giving you a hard time. No, those videos were great. They got, I uh, should know better, though. I, sh- I know you well enough to know. No, like, those, I love those videos, though. A lot of people, a lot of engagement on those, so that was – Awesome. People love the, people love the highlight videos and that's why we continue. And that's what I'm out, good so. at. You're good. You're yeah. good at like breaking that. I'm no dude. I'm, I'm putting the 25, 30 yard gashes. <laughs> well, yeah, well that we love putting out the videos and you guys seem to like them. So whenever we have time, we will definitely, that's, that's what we've, besides the podcast, we try to get to the Twitter videos. So, Oh yeah. hundred percent. Well, Dustin, that's awesome. Um, a couple other things though, I think to, to get to on summer practice updates or if we're good, we can move right along. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we're good there. No major updates. You know, it's hard to, hard to take a lot of things away from the workouts, you know, other than the fact that that's what we hear. These yeah. guys are strong, but yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. All right. I know we have a couple of recruiting updates before we get into basketball uh, and some other stuff. Yeah. So it's it's the dead period, Cade, in July. Not a. It's starting to feel like it too. Yeah. Not a not a ton of offers, contact, can go out or anything right now. So we'll kind of see how everything's going. Kate, the first thing I wanted to kind of touch on with you, we talked about it last podcast, yep. but this. This class, if you go look on 247, they're ranked 54th, even with even with some of the guys that recently committed getting 247 rankings now. The thing you have to remember, though, is, and we talked about it, we hit on it last week, they're probably only going to take 14, 15, 16, maybe less guys, because they still have a lot of guys that could come back next year with the COVID year. You've got Spencer Sanders, Braden Cassidy, Hunter Woodard, Tyler Lacey, Lamont Bishop, Thomas Harper, Jason Taylor, Shawn Michael Flanagan, and Kanayan Williams. All those guys could come back in 2023. Now, I know you and I are talking about Tyler Lacey being a high-round draft pick, so I don't think he'll come back. A guy like Jason Taylor, Hunter Woodard even, my sleeper pick to make a big, a big 12 team. These guys could all go pro. I'm just saying that's a lot of people that could come back and a lot of those names are really talented guys. So it's kind of the coaching staff has to weigh the option of taking the high school guy, taking guys out of the transfer portal, keeping these super seniors. So it's just a little, it's a little up in the air how big the class is going to be. But if the class only has 14, 15, they are not going to be ranked very high. 
hundred percent. I would think they, they don't go any higher than 54 and they probably end up lower. And, you know, it'll be something that people that aren't paying attention to it will point, they'll screenshot it on Twitter and, and gripe about it and, and even poke fun. I, I guarantee you that will happen as this class winds down. Um, but, but you nailed it. And what I will also say is that the, the coffers are, are filling up like, if you look at the offensive line, you look at the secondary, you look at the defensive line, all positions that you just rattled off, there are returning players. Yeah, that and there are also a lot of guys that we've talked about on this podcast that are close to contributing. So it's not shocking that they could only take 14, 15, 16. And honestly, if you've been paying any attention to Oklahoma State recruiting for the last 10 to 15 years, it's not shocking that they're at where they are right now simply because a lot of this is driven by the volume of recruits you take. I mean, it, go look at the list right now. There, there are programs with 20 commitments who are up there, but they've got one four-star and 19 three-stars. Texas Tech. <laughs> Texas Tech. That's exactly who I was talking about, by the way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, I think you made the point perfectly, and um, people will look at it, and, and Oklahoma State will get ribbed for it. But um, ultimately, I, I do think it's a little bit of a, of a non-story. Yeah, it'll it'll just be interesting to see what they do, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure even though we've said it, Cade, people aren't going to remember. <laughs> no, we'll, get real upset. Even though everyone should listen to us and yeah. subscribe and five star review, but people don't. I mean, they're dumb. It's sometimes you and I are going to feel like the you know man yells at light post uh, meme at, <laughs> at times talking about the offensive line and talking about these recruiting classes. That's going to be you and me. Once ever once the last listener's gone, we're still going to be talking about this. Yeah. And uh, I mean, all that being said, it is really hard to look at a 54 ranking after two pretty solid years in a row. Of it's not fun. And, not fun. And take any, any of that into account. So I, I completely understand, but I do too. Kate, uh, along with just kind of those general thoughts, one of the guys who I had mentioned, we had talked about as a backfill for Billy Walton, KVN Huddleston ended up committing to TCU. That was a guy who I thought OSU had a real shot at. But the six foot four, 235 pounder out of Tyler, Texas, has decided to go play in Fort Worth for the Horn Frogs. They've still got other guys that I mentioned last week who they could go get. I thought this was a guy they could, you know, make a real run at. He was in the, I think it was a top seven. It was like K State, Texas Tech, Arkansas, UTSA, Prairie View, AM, TCU, and OSU. And he ended up going with TCU. Tough break, but not the end of the world. The Billy Walton loss is much worse, obviously, than than Huddleston committing to TCU. But they still got some guys they could go get. So I'm not uh, I'm not doom and gloom here. But I, Kate, I never am, so don't trust me. Yeah, you never are. It, it's not great, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, a great breakdown there, Dustin. Um, definitely somebody that they wanted, um, but you know, I, I, they'll be able to go find somebody. I'm, I have no doubt. And we called it. Yes. Jelani, McDan- Jelani McDaniel hits the. I was ready to give you your flowers. Stars. Well, I mean, that's the easiest. That's the easiest bet ever. An unranked guy, they get an, an OSU offer and they're at a skill position. Three stars. Or a, or a, you know, a, de- a defensive end, linebacker, anything like that. Basically, just not offensive line. They're going to get a mid to high three star ranking. Yeah. So he comes in as the, with a grade of 88, which is a high three star on 247 the number 36th athlete. And the reason why he's listed at athlete, if you remember, is because he's playing quarterback right now. 
but he Oklahoma State is recruiting him at defensive back. He's the number 69 overall recruit, regardless of position coming out of Texas. So pretty good ranking for a guy like McDonald. Again, he's he's someone it's kind of hard to break down the film on because he hasn't yet played defense recently in high school. So he's going to this upcoming season. We'll see what what it looks like there. But he's definitely I mean, he is a sick athlete. He plays basketball, I believe he plays on track and field as well. So that's we'll uh we'll see. That's what I was gonna bring up. Uh somebody tagged us uh M at underscore camera one friend of the pod. He's he's been tagging us and everything and sending in listener questions, but he tagged us in a tweet from Cody Nagel, and uh it's a video of Jelani McDaniel or McDonald throwing one down on the basketball court, an absolute <laughs> poster. And I'll go ahead and retweet it uh, on the feed so you can go back and find it. But I mean, freak athlete. And I see that and I'm like, okay, done deal. I get it. I'm in. Sounds good. Um, and I think a lot of football coaches do too. Like they see just raw athleticism and it's like, okay, I think you could probably play defensive back. Um, I, I guarantee you that was part of the thought process. Yeah, no, he's he is a sick athlete, and and M, thanks for thanks for sending us that. That was a great video to watch and kind of get your uh, get your mood back up after the KVN Huddleston committing to TCU. But okay, just real quick, just wanted wanted to run down a few things with the twenty twenty three class. Some guys just to keep an eye on it. Some certain positions. Parker Jenkins out of Klein Forest, the running back. He uh, made an official visit to Oklahoma State late in June somebody to keep an eye on there with Silas Barr retiring. There could be another offensive line spot open up. So look for some of the guys we've talked about at offensive line. I think they'll be looking there. I really think Casey Dunn wants to land uh Sadiq out of Idaho. I believe mm. I saw Robert Allen talking about that as well. I think at wide receiver, he makes a lot of sense. Casey Dunn has the connection to Idaho he's there, there in college. Yeah. So we'll see. And then, like I mentioned earlier, they're going to get somebody else uh, to fill Billy Walton's spot at that defensive end, Leo-type position now that he decommitted and flipped to Texas. Some of the names I mentioned last week, like a Matthew Fobbs-White, a Trey Williams, keep an eye on those guys still. And then I think they're still going to take some more defensive backs. So we'll, we'll see how it is. They're at 10 right now. I said 14, 15, 16. Those are running back, offensive line that defensive end Leo spot and maybe a defensive back or two or some I'd kind of keep an eye on uh, for positions that they fill the rest of the class. It's a phenomenal breakdown. Um, Sadiq is one that has kind of flown under the radar since we last talked about him, but is one that like, I think I'd be fired up for him. Casey Dunn goes into Idaho. I mean, you got to know that he'd be fired up about that because that's a, that's kind of one of those sneaky pulls um, it kind of reminds me of a Matt Polk. I know that didn't end up well, but I think it would have um, had he stuck around. It kind of reminds me of that. And uh, we saw just some of the tools that he had. Um, so just kind of drawing comparisons there as to why I think um, that would work out. I, th I think done um, that, that play makes a lot of sense. So, Oh, hundred percent. And what you said as well, if Casey Dunn offers a wide receiver, from Idaho. I don't care what they're ranked, where they're from, <laughs> right. they could be from, you know, Alaska, middle of nowhere. I think that guy's probably going to be a stud because yeah. he's, he's shown he knows what he's doing on the recruiting trail. Immediately get excited about it. There's no, no offense to Alaska. <laughs> yeah. hundred uh, percent. Well, Dustin, anything else on the, uh, on the recruiting front? No, I think, uh, I think we're good. I think that's kind of all the football news we had. Obviously we're saving a lot of the football 
airtime for our breakdown of Baylor with Sam. So we'll get to some Oklahoma State talk there as well. Well, before we do that, I do want to take a break and say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is the fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to your unique goals and circumstances so you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash price hyphen Buckley, and it's spelled B-U-C-K-L-E-Y. Again, you can reach him at 469-757-0290. Dustin, I, I was thinking, I think we need some backing tracks as I'm reading that. Like, I need you to queue up some some jingles, like some music to yeah, play I, underneath I can that. sing. You, <laughs> as long as you can do that, I'm in. Um, <laughs> well, we were right on one thing, and that was that a Trent Pierce commitment was coming soon. What we were wrong about is who he was committing to. Um, so we we just got to be less less bold about this okay. in the future. But we, I thought it was a done deal. I'm extremely dumb. I'm just going to go out and say <laughs> it. Every prediction I think I've ever made on this podcast, besides I think when we were predicting scores in the football season, which I think I got a lot of those wrong as well, I get wrong. I'm going to stop. I think I said 75% Trent Pierce to Oklahoma State. I was wrong. I did hear that it was looking not to not to back myself up just to kind of explain the story, but I did hear that Trent Pierce was pretty heavy on Oklahoma State and then out of nowhere kind of went silent. No, I heard the same thing. Um, that's kind of the story is that um, it was looking Oklahoma State for a long time. It wasn't ever a done deal, but when you and I talked last week, it was, I mean, really looking good. I mean, we wouldn't just come out and just <laughs> blow smoke. Like what we were hearing and seeing was that this was going to be a, a, I mean, this, this felt good. And uh, it, it pretty quickly turned. And as we found out a commitment was coming, um, just it, it started to look like that that was not going to happen. And so disappointing there. I think Trent Pierce was uh, a really nice potential addition to this class. It's kind of like what I said about Courtney Ramey not going to make or break that class. I think they're going to be able to go into the portal if they had to, um, which I think we'll get to a, another potential addition coming up. But if they had to go into the portal, I think now that's so much more a viable option than it used to be to where you miss out on a high school recruit these days. It really just does not sting the way it used to. Um, I, I don't know if I'm off base on that, but. Oh, and, you know, the other thing is <laughs> we can't really say he lost an Oklahoma recruit because. Pierce moved to Arizona. So yeah, we'll compass just, prep. That's an Arizona kid. We can take that as not swinging and missing on a high powered Oklahoma recruit. So there's one, one kind of positive there. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. But no, Pierce, I really liked his game. We talked about him. He's a guy at six, eight, 180 pounds. He's listed as a power forward, but if you've watched any of his videos, he can step outside, shoot the ball, super athletic. I, I think you mentioned maybe like a more kind of bouncy, more athletic, Keelan Boone yep. when we were talking and I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think it would have been a big get. I, I'm a little surprised about the Mizzou. I know he had OU Minnesota, Florida, and kind of that yeah. final list. And he went with Mizzou, which was a little surprising to me, but you know, I, I think there's still, 
think there's still work to be done in the 2023 class. And I think there's still some big names out there who Oklahoma State's linked to. Well, and and one of them is uh, Uganda Kingsley Onyenso that we've talked about. Um, this is heating up and I'm not going to be as bold as I was last week. Um, but Oklahoma State is in a really good spot here. Um, Mike, he came out for an official visit two weekends ago and Mike Boynton's been following him around on the recruiting trail. So clearly there is some reciprocal interest there. The one thing I'll point out is that on three sports, their prediction has Oklahoma State as an 80% lean. Now, don't take that as gospel. Um, I do think, though, that Oklahoma State's in a really good spot. The one thing that concerns me is Kentucky. He's mentioned them before, and it sounds like they're trying to work out the, the details on a visit. I know Kentucky's about to add another five-star big man to this class. Could potentially fill that spot and leave the door open for Oklahoma State. But, um, I mean, Mike Boynton and John Calipari battling it out again. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I saw an interview with uh, Kingsley on 247 after his Oklahoma State visit, which, which he recently took. It, it was all positive things about Oklahoma State. He did say, like you mentioned, Kentucky is pretty heavy on me, to quote him exactly. I know his uncle has been handling a lot of the communications with the schools, so – he didn't have a lot of insight on what was next to be anything, but it's two, four, seven is saying sources told them that he's probably going to have a couple more visits, if not a couple more, maybe one more to Kentucky, and then he'll make his decision in August. So we'll see there, but nice news from on three, the quotes he had about the state, this would be a big get number 21 overall prospect in the 2023 class. I know there was some rumors initially of him uh, reclassifying to 2022. I doubt that happens at this point. So I think he's going to be a 2023 guy. And if, if you get Kingsley as your, your like kind of star in the 2023 class with the guy with, with who they already have. Yeah. There, Brandon Garrison. And, yeah. Brandon Garrison. And, and then Golly. you got Keon Williams there as well. That that's just, that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot of power coming in with your young guys in the 2022 and 2023 classes. Oh, you nailed it. It's really easy to dream about a, a front court of Brandon Garrison and Uganda Kingsley on Yenso. Like they, uh, <laughs> those two guys together would be outrageous. Um, and I'm just going to call him Uganda from now on with the name being so long, but Uganda, he plays like Musa Sise, and it's not hard to imagine what he would look like in the system. I'm sure that that is a, um, a film comparison they're doing right now and saying, hey, I mean, you, you want to rim run and, uh, and, and come play defense and um, be the most loved player on the floor, come to Oklahoma State because we love our big men. We just do. And, um, I mean, again, if you don't know, five-star recruit, number 22, 22 – I'm sorry, number 22 player in this class um, would be a humongous get. Um, and would be on par, as I said last week, with the Bryce Thompson, Cade Cunningham, uh, really kind of up there in that upper echelon of, uh, of recruits. So it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what happens here. Yeah, completely agree. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun little ride then 2023 class. No doubt. All right, Dustin, anything else on basketball? I think we can move right into questions. Yeah, I think we're good. And sorry if this episode felt a little short or rushed, you'll, we're, we're expecting to go pretty long with Sam. So uh, if, if we went any longer, this would be like a two hour episode total. So we can't and, do that. And 
let's let's let the star do the work. I mean, Sam's yeah. here for a reason, right? I mean, right. and here's the other deal. If there was a lot to talk about, there'd be a lot to talk about. But we're just kind <laughs> of in that part of the year where that's why we're doing this. So, all right. One thing I want to say, uh, shout out to Ryan Winkle, who sent in a question last week. Um, we were not able to get it. Uh, we recorded earlier last week than usual, and it came in right as we were doing questions. So wanted to lead off with Ryan as a thank you for last week. Um, so here he is, again, friend of the pod who's sent in a number of questions uh, over, the, over the course of time. Hey, guys. So I was curious, if I told you that there was one stat category that the defense actually was better this year than last year on, uh, what stat do you think it would be? For example, interceptions, forced fumbles, uh, even, you know, passing yards allowed or rushing yards allowed, any, any stat category. Uh, what one stat category do you see this defense having the chance to improve on this year? That's a really good question. Um, Dustin, I don't know if you have anything off the top of your head. I've got some thoughts. Yeah. Hit me with your thoughts. I was, th I was kind of thinking. <laughs> I'm so if I, well, there's Kate. Yeah. The, the thing, the thing where I want to go is sacks. Me but too. I believe That's I was trying to look it up. I, say. I think they were like third or fourth in sacks per game last year. I know. So it's exactly what I was going to say. It's why I got timid and shelled up and didn't want to say it because I don't know how they get better, but that's the, that's the unit that could do it. Um, I could see like, I, I mean, turnovers, turnovers forced being one. Um, I could see possibly pass breakups being one just with an active secondary, I think that's going to be allowed to run pretty free. But outside of that, it's got to be sacks. You know what? I'm going to go with, uh, and sacks is fine with me because I think they're going to be up there as well. I'm going to go with interceptions because I think they were pretty low in interceptions per game. You know, they play a lot of man coverage, especially from their corners, some cover one. But we saw them go to some quarters, some cover three as well at times. I'm not 100% sure what Mason is going to do in coverage. You know, we talked about only changing 15% kind of from what Noel's scheme was. Right. I'm just going to go with interceptions, though. Clearly on the thought that kind of goes along with the sacks is they're going to be pressuring the quarterback so much that these big 12 quarterbacks that we already think aren't very good, some are going to make some bad decisions. And instead of throwing the ball away, they're going to throw it directly into Jason Taylor's hands. I, so I love him. that. And that's, that's really kind of the direction I was going with pass breakups. Um, I, I think you're, I think that's a great point, Dustin. Yeah. I like, here's, uh, here's I like one sacks. Thought. I like pass breakups. I like interceptions quarterback kills. Yeah. We just, we just played the game of what do we think it's going to be? What do you want it to be? I'd love it to just be turnovers in general. You know, yeah. we haven't seen, and going back to kind of what I said, though, you know, you're playing a lot of man coverage. And what I mean by that is the cornerbacks locked up on the receiver as opposed to zone where he's got his eyes on the quarterback. So he's not looking at the football always, depending on the route it is, especially if it's a deep fade, a deep route, a deep post. He's kind of watching the receiver's eyes, getting his hands up when the ball comes in, when he sees those eyes get big on the wide receiver. It's, it's hard to turn around make an interception unless it's a bad pass 
you want to pass breakup, you know, you, that's pretty much all you have really reaction time for to get the one hand out there. So it's a little tough to get these interceptions, but I would love for that to be higher. But again, I don't want, I don't want to go straight zone. Yeah. You can still get interceptions to man, but that I think turnovers in general, fumbles, just any kind of takeaway. Man, it would set this team up well, right? <laughs> just a small increase in turnovers could offset some of the lost production you see from a, a, a turned over secondary and linebacking core. Like if they're able to get aggressive and force turnovers, you could make up for some of that lost, lost ground. Yeah. hundred percent. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma state line. I don't know if you have, I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of home field stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 we'll get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast is Okay, welcome back, uh, Dustin. It's it's great to have uh, Sam Bradshaw on the pod. We talked about it earlier, but Sam, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you, sir. Thanks for having me on. Look forward yeah. to talking with you guys. Absolutely. Obviously, we mentioned it earlier in the show, but Sam comes from Sikkim 365, uh, one of the leading voices for the Baylor Bears, and uh, no better way to lead off our conference preview on the Feels Like 45 podcast than a preview of a very familiar opponent in the Baylor Bears and uh, Sam, Dustin and I were just talking. Uh, how, how do we want to open this up with you? And it was a conversation of, well, I want to know what Baylor does that confuses Spencer Sanders so much. Um, Dave Aranda is really good at disguising his coverages, disguising his blitzes, creepers and simulated pressures where he's changing which four guys are coming in terms of creepers and doing a good job of disguising it. And then simulated pressures where he's showing a simulation that five guys might be rushing or six guys might be rushing to get the specific pass protection he wants. And then as the ball snapped, he's only rushing four, but he's rushing the right four and he's getting the right guy matched up against the running back. He's getting his speed guy matched up against your tackle. He's getting a quick interior rusher matched up against your guard. He's getting the favorable matchups without sacrificing coverage. And I think a lot of that is something that gave Spencer some problems. Um, according to some of the stats I have, um, in games against other Power 5 teams, 1.3% of Oklahoma State's passes were intercepted. In two games against Baylor, it was 9.6. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so whatever they were doing was working. And uh, – that's one of the things that Aranda's made a career out of. He's found ways to remain sound in coverage and be able to devote enough bodies to the run or play his guys aggressively up front to where he can steal a body in coverage or he can get pressure with only four. He actually 
if you go back a decade when Nevada had Colin Kaepernick and was a game away from being unbeaten, Dave Aranda's defense at Hawaii broke their pistol for a game and did just enough for Hawaii to steal a win, ruining that season for Nevada. So Aranda's been doing this a long time, and he is an outstanding defensive strategist, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with the next bunch of guys he has in now. And and Sam, that's the – and also after that stat, we might just wrap yeah. up the wrap up the interview. That kind of hurt me. But uh, the, the way you broke that down, you mentioned it a couple of times there in that response about – not, not sacrificing coverage, but still being able to get pressure on the quarterback. And we didn't see a lot of big 12s be able to do that against Spencer Sanders, which kind of leads back to that stat, you know, that they're not able to get pressure on him. He's got some time. He's able to maybe use his life scale out of the pocket. And the fact that Baylor's defensive line and defensive front, whether that be whoever they're sen- sending with creepers or simulated pressures, if it's somebody from the back or just the, you know, four guys up front, they they rattled them and they do it early. They did it early in that Big Twelve championship game, and he just wasn't able to recover from it. So that was a that was a great breakdown. But I know I know our kind of our agenda we talked to you about before was going offense and then defense. But since Kate asked that question off the bat, I think it's a great question. We might just start with the defense and talk about the talk about that defensive front. I, I mean they're they're going to be the best defensive front, I think, in the Big 12, if not in the entire country. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of who's coming back? We know about Ika, but who who are some other big names there? Well, Siaki Ika is the guy you mentioned, the 6'4", 350 guy that, unlike a lot of guys of that stature, stature, can still move, is still an active pass rusher. He's obviously the headliner that you deal with, but – you still return his primary backup in Chidi Obanaya, who's been a valuable rotation guy, even going back to 2019 when Baylor made the Big 12 title game and was a play away from making the playoff and beating Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. And so you've already got those two guys, but you add Jackson Player, the transfer from Tulsa, where he's not nearly as big as Siaki Aika. He's only a six-foot 288, which for nose tackle is not all that big, but he's very quick. He's very strong for his size, uses his hands incredibly well, and he can play all over the line. You've got a really good rotation on the inside, but the freak of nature on the defensive line that people don't talk about enough is Gabe Hall. He's 6'5", 290. He really reminds you a lot of the defensive ends in the 3-4 alignments that you see at Alabama, that you see at Georgia where they've got the ability to rush the passer one-on-one, but they can two-gap. They can play inside. They can, they've can. they got the long arms. They've got that functional strength. And around there, you've also got at that field end position, Cole Maxwell and TJ Franklin have been productive players at those positions for the last couple of years. And again, you're talking 6'4", 6'5", 290, 300. You've got these guys that can play inside, that can play outside, and you've got them up and down the line, and you return virtually everybody and you add player to it. You've got a really good defensive line rotation that you can ask to do a lot of things. Back when Baylor was winning under Bryles, you had the occasional Andrew Billings or Sean Oakman, but you didn't really have the guys that could do anything beyond, okay, I'm going to attack one gap Miami 4-3 style, where we're not engaging with the blocker. We're trying to get past him. 
go make a play in the backfield. These guys can do that as well, but these guys can play multiple gaps. They can allow you to be sound against the run with relatively few guys in the box. And that's one of the things that makes this defense so tough to crack because you not only have that up front, but you've got some quality athletes behind them. And you see that, especially at the Jack position where you've got Garmin Randolph, who's 6'7", 265, but has the athleticism to drop into coverage. He had a very notable interception against Iowa State in that close win in Waco last year. You've got Matt Jones, who plays linebacker part of the time, actually started in place of Terrell Bernard, who was injured in that game against OSU in Stillwater last year. And he actually had a notable interception in the Big 12 title game. You've got Victor Obi, who's still relatively young, but is a 6'5", 230 guy whose arms are about as long as Sean Oakman. <laughs> and he can drop into coverage. He's athletic. You've got Tony Anianwu, Jackie Marshall. You've got high upside athletes all over that jack position. And you've got so much that you can throw at the line of scrimmage. It's a really stout rotation for that down lineman and that edge position that you see Aranda use because he'll either have his 3-4 or hybrid 3-4 where the star is replacing one outside backer or what he calls peso. And I know Oklahoma State will be running some of this with Derek Mason where you're replacing one of your four three ends with an extra edge linebacker, jack backer. Aranda calls that, that peso. And it, you're still able to run the vast majority of what you already do, as long as you have a jack that can potentially play the four eye technique or things like that. It's a really, really solid rotation and probably the best rotation I've seen in Baylor since the days of Santana Dotson. So Sam, that was, that was kind of my next question. I mean, Dustin, I mean, you, you may see it the way I see it just on the death chart alone and, and take this from uh, an outsider's perspective. There's some similarities in what Oklahoma state's returning and what Baylor is returning just from defensive line being the clear strength. But Sam, I mean, based on what you just said, it seems like you're, you're feeling really confident that this defense is, is not going to miss a step even after, you know, replacing Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard, and some really solid players there. Well, I think the I think the defensive front is not going to miss a step at all. Sure. The question is going to be entirely on the back end because you had a lot of very veteran guys. You had Jaron McVeigh as a walk-on safety. He had been there since Rule got there. You had JT Woods, who'd been there since 2018 and got drafted. Both of those guys could absolutely fly, cover ground. Yeah, Kalen Barnes, who'd been there since 2018. Raleigh Tejada, who'd been there since, I think, 2017. You had a lot of experience on that back end, including some of the guys you have coming back. And, of course, Terrell Bernard, who'd been there since 2017 as well and was one of the best linebackers in the Big 12. You know, so the question is going to be, how well do the replacements on the back end understand the finer details of that defense because one of the things about this defense it wasn't just that you had the bodies up front that could two gap and one gap with equal efficiency it wasn't just that you had some really high-end athletes that, that rule his recruiting strategy was we can coach them up let's just get the raw athletes in here it's it wasn't just that you had both of those things where you had the man coverage ability on the back end and you had multiple different techniques you could play on the front end it was the fact that during that Sugar Bowl, you saw it especially against Ole Miss, 
they knew what the Rebels were doing before Ole Miss did. You could see them calling out motions, knowing exactly where that ball was going, sniffing out screens, sniffing everything out. How well does the next group handle that aspect of it is really going to determine how high this defense flies. And Sam, that was that kind of leads me to put the next question I had. Who is kind of the leader of this defense who's able to call those things out, do things like that? Is, is it a guy like Dylan Doyle? I mean, I know he's solid at the linebacker position. He played really well in both the Oklahoma State games last year. Is, is that the guy or is it somebody else who kind of takes over as the leader of this defense? Is it one of the guys up front? Just who, what is your thought there? Well, with veteran leadership, you're going to have a lot of the guys up front. Uh, as far as guys on the back end of the defense, Dylan Doyle will be my first bet. You know, it's a guy that started part-time for Iowa before transferring to Baylor and has been a reliable rock at that Mike Backer position. Probably won't time overly fast, but one of those classic Mike Backers that no false steps, knows where he's going, arrives there angry, and just really sound, really smart. And apparently he's a very productive offensive player. I think we had one game where as a foot, as a fullback, he ended up getting a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. So he's all <laughs> over the field. Um, and he figures to be your main guy at Mike. Um, as far as replacing Terrell Bernard, you're going to have some serious speed um, replacing him. You got White, who was a highly touted LSU recruit in 2020. And uh, he's 6'1", 225, and he can absolutely fly. He knows he was recruited to the system. He understands what Iran is trying to do. He's arriving in summer, which would be a bit of a difficult uh, transition. And then you've also got Will Williams as a guy with an inside track. Will Williams is like a 6'2", 220 guy. And his offer list was not all that impressive, but his measurables were. This is a guy that was 4'5", out of high school, legitimate 4'5". This isn't somebody's coach, hand timing them, giving them that. This is strict timing, strict jumping, everything. This is a guy that probably should have been a star and a half higher than he was as a recruit. And he's started to come into his own. And then, of course, Matt Jones, who as a stack linebacker would probably be better fitting, better fitting at Mike, but Doyle's there. Jones might fit it well, or he might be a jack. I could see him at either spot, but as far as the stack linebacker positions, that's mainly who you're going to see at that will position. You think Josh White gets a lot of, of playing time this year? I, that's a guy Oklahoma State recruited really hard coming out of high school. I think he's got a good chance to, to be the starter, but it, if he doesn't, it won't be because he wasn't capable. It'll be because Will Williams held him off, or Matt Jones for that matter. So, Caden, sorry if I was cutting you off on asking one, but is is defensive is the defensive backfield those those guys on the back end is that the position group you're most concerned about on this defense and maybe even the entire team? Well, I think you kind of have to be because you you like the possibilities of who you have. You've got three guys that should be able to do a good job for you at will, and you love your defensive line. So the only place where there really are any question marks is you return one of your starting corners and then you return a part-time starter over the last couple of years and Mark Milton as your most likely other starting corner. He's a 6'1", 190 guy with blazing speed. 
So if that light comes on the way it did for Kalen Barnes, you'll really have something opposite Al Walcott, who had to pick six in the Sugar Bowl. But at safety, you are lo- you are losing JT Woods and you're losing Jared McVay. Now, Christian Morgan was your starter for the better part of the last two years and has been a reliable starter for you. So he should be at one spot. And Devin Neal, who has seen part-time starters minutes over the last couple of years, particularly in 2020, um, he's a guy that has freak upside. 5'11", 200. 441, 39-inch vertical, just crazy upside with that guy. Those are the two guys that I would assume would be the guy at safety. But at a star, that kind of hybrid safety linebacker position, kind of kind of your nickel defender in this defense. Lorando Johnson was the backup to Jalen Petrie. I don't think he's the blitzer that Petrie was, but I think he's a better pure cover guy. And that's where you're going to have some potential changes in how Baylor is calling some of the aspects of their defense. All right. We had a little bit of technical difficulties. We lost Cade for a second. He may join us back before the end of the show, but Sam and I are going to take it from here. Covered the Baylor defense, Sam. Let's move right into the offense. I think the big story here is Bohannon moving on, Blake Shapin kind of taking the reins as the number one guy. How do you see him and this offense attacking the Big 12 defenses next season with that kind of new mold at quarterback? Well, I think it was a close competition because Bohannon did give you a lot with his legs. And generally, he was good at avoiding the turnover. However, what you saw with the two Oklahoma State games largely played a role in why Chapin ended up winning. Um, you saw in the first game that Oklahoma State was able to keep a lot of guys in the box and do a, risk a lot of single coverage, and Bohannon really wasn't able to make them pay for it. You saw a little bit against TCU where Baylor made some plays, but they missed some others and had a costly pick at the end of the game. And it was just one of those things where you saw throughout the season there were times where when you needed to pass, it really wasn't something where you were confident dropping back that you were able to, that you were going to be able to dig yourself out of a hole. Therefore, a lot of what they were doing with Bohannon was play action shots, trying to get that shot play that way. Whereas with Shapin, you have a lot more timing. You have a lot more on rhythm. And you saw a lot of that, particularly in the first half against Oklahoma State before Shapin got hurt. And based off of that, you're really looking at a more wide open passing attack, probably a little closer to what Jeff Grimes was running when he had Zach Wilson at BYU. And if so, it looked like, you know, in the Big 12 championship game, Shapen was kind of, you mentioned it early on in that game, hitting some quicker stuff. But he is a guy, I mean, you just, you just alluded to it, talking about Jeff, Jeff Grimes' offense at BYU. He is a guy that can push the ball down the field. He's not a dink and dunk, spread it out, air raid quarterback. He can push the ball down the field. You're talking about open up, opening up the entire field, correct, to this passing game? Right. And it's just a better sense of timing, a better sense of – understanding when the pocket's breaking down, just a little bit more natural, 
he's got a baseball playing background. He's a little better at getting things off, out when things break down. And I think he was able to edge out Bohannon that way. I don't think it was some landslide or anything, but at the same, by, by the same token, you know, he won the job and Baylor's really hoping that they made the right call because Bohannon is now at South Florida. And the uh, walk-on they had last year, C.J. Rogers, who probably, if not for COVID, probably would have had a scholarship offer somewhere in the transfer portal after the spring game, after he had a couple big throws. So you're really looking at shaping and drones as your quarterback room for the majority of the season until they recently added Luke Anthony, who, uh, as a grad transfer, who had been a starter for Abilene Christian and then transferred to Louisiana Tech, where he started and he's kind of getting one last uh, go round. And he's a smart kid, not necessarily the biggest arm in the world, but accurate, makes good decisions, and can definitely keep you in a game and win a game for you. Do you think, even with Bohannon gone, I know I know Shavit can move a bit. Do you think they still have some design quarterback runs in the scheme, or is it going to be all on the running backs and that kind of wide zone scheme which you did you guys do a great job of breaking down on second 365 or or do you think i mean do, do you think they run him a little do they like run shaping a little bit as well well i think you have to look at it as you're not going to run him nearly as much as you do bohan and just purely from a stature standpoint you're going to run into injuries a lot more frequently and while he's got the athleticism to get a little bit running the ball for you he's not going to be somebody that's going to rip off an 80 yard run for you the way somebody like a Bohannon, if he gets the right angles could potentially do it for you. Um, so you, it's going to go down a little bit, but if somebody's absolutely cheating to take certain things away, they'll take advantage of it. But I don't think yeah. it's going to be a focal point of the game plan the way it was in the second half against Oklahoma, for instance. Right. Right. No, that makes, that makes complete sense. And, it, I, like you pointed out, there is a worry if, if he were to get injured with, with drones back there, you know, you're losing, you don't have Bohannon to back him up. So you're, you're kind of thinning out a little bit in the quarterback room. So obviously that'd be something else to consider as well. Having about, Anthony is a big asset in that regard because yeah. Anthony's skill set uh, is more in tune with uh, what you get with Shapin. So there's a little more commonality there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a huge help because it's kind of kind of a little bit, you mentioned it, drastic, not drastic change between Bohannon and Shaven, but they are different guys who run, who can run the offense differently because they have different strengths and weaknesses. So that's uh that's interesting to point out because I don't know much about Anthony. So um speak just talking about injuries protecting the quarterback. Is this the best offensive line in the Big 12? I think they were one of the best last year, and I think they return as – I don't know if they're the best, but they're definitely up there. You've got Connor Galvin at left tackle, Jacob Gall at center, Grant Miller at right guard, and Khalil Keith at right tackle. All of them are very good. And you got Gavin Byers, Tate Williams, and Elijah Ellis as solid backups. And either Micah Mascua or Mose Jeffrey figures to be your guy at left guard. You've got a really good offensive line. 
they fit the system well. You've got a good combination of NFL guys and good system fits at the college level that it's going to be really, you're going to have to commit some bodies to stop the running game against them. And having a little bit better passing attack with Shapin, that's going to pay some dividends. And left guard's really the only spot they lost anybody at, right? Exactly. The, they lost Xavier Newman, who I believe is in the Titans organization now, trying to fight for a roster spot. And they've got Micah Mascua, who's more of your prototype guard, and uh, former G- Juco transfer, Mose Jeffrey, who's in his last year, giant guy. Those two guys figured it'd be fighting for that spot. And running behind this line, you're losing Abram Smith, you're losing Tristan Ebner, but you've got guys like McWilliams. I, I know Bleaks has moved over from wide receiver to running back. There's Squirrel back there as well. <laughs> Who, who's kind of the go-to guy? Is it McWilliams? Is that going to be RB1? first game of the season or is there still kind of some uncertainty there as we head into fall camp well i think there's a a good i think the rotation is going to be mcwilliams williams are going to be the two primary guys mcwilliams is your prototypical rule recruit 6'1 211 runs in the four fours 38 inch vertical he's your high upside guy that if everything gels mentally scheme wise everything He's another NFL guy that rule recruited based off measurables. You've also got Squirrel. Now, he is a guy that's 4.36 speed, 10.48 in the 100 meter coming out of high school. He's not all that big. He's only like 5.8, 170. But he runs with decisively. He will cut north and south. He's not just your get me to the outside because I'm a little guy and fast. He'll mix it up. He, he runs bigger than he is. Now, he's had an injury history during his time at Baylor, so you definitely have to be judicious with how much you run him. But when he's had chances to play, he has made a difference. During the 2020, half our team is injured, and we tried to install our offense and defense over Zoom season. <laughs> um, he almost led a huge comeback for Baylor against TCU. Um they weren't able to cap it out, but there was a good stretch in that game where he was just tearing TCU apart. And he actually had a couple other big runs against Iowa State. And he's a guy that definitely figures into the plans. Beyond those guys, you mentioned Josh Fleeks, the receiver moved over to running back. He should be able to give you some of the third down back receiving out of the backfield that you enjoyed with Treston Ebner. And then another guy to keep an eye on is Jordan Jenkins. He's 6'1", 210, not as fast as the other guys, but more of a physical downhill system fit for that wide zone where you're taking a few steps, reading who's in what hole and getting north-south in a hurry. And he could figure into the plans, particularly if there's an injury to one of the other guys. That's what I was going to say. Is he kind of a backup plan for McWilliams? Um, I think those two figure to be your larger backs in the rotation, definitely. Um, is this is this unit the unit you're most kind of similar to what I asked about the defensive backfield? 
Is this the unit you're most worried about on offense? Well, that and wide receiver, just because you have so much young, less proven talent that it's kind of tough not to have that be consideration because you've at least seen shape and play well in the second half against KSU, against a drop eight defense, saw him do well against Tech, against, and then of course, against Oklahoma State before he got injured early in the third quarter. I think he was getting over 30 yards a drive, even with some short fields limiting that number down against the Pokes. Uh, and then of course the number tailed off after that because you know not being able to throw against that defense is not exactly a recipe for success. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, I think running back and receiver, you have to be because last year, in addition to uh, Tristan Abner being able to make just a huge play out of nowhere, whether it be running back or receiving out of the backfield or just on special teams, and you can ask the Cyclones about that. Um, you, you also had Abram Smith. Abram was probably not the most athletic running back that Baylor's ever had, still very plus athlete. But just one of those guys that the pile's always falling forward. The pile's always falling forward. Guys would get good hits on him, and he'd still get an extra yard out of it. Just one of those guys that keeps the chains moving. And having somebody step in that can really take that role on is going to be critical for this offense. And you mentioned in, in there as well, wide receiver, somewhat of a concern. Hey, so it's Estrada, Thornton. They're both those were guys that played really well against Oklahoma State. They're both gone. I, I don't think any of the major receivers return for Baylor, but from what I've seen from these other guys, your Baldwin, Presley, Winfield, they look super athletic, all young, but very athletic. And then you've got the new wide receivers coach in Dallas Barker. Can you tell me a little bit about this wide receiver crew? Because I, I don't know much about them. Well, yeah, um, the guy that probably is most known because Ole Miss still haven't caught him is uh, Monterey Baldwin. <laughs> He's 5'9", 170. He's a 10'6 guy in the 100, 4'4'2". Really good route runner to go with his speed, good hands. He figures to be one of the primary guys at receiver this year. Um, on the outside, as kind of your big guy outside, there's several contenders. Auburn transfer Hal Presley is six three guy who can really combine some plus athleticism with the ability to win at the point of the catch. You've got Josh Cameron, who was recently given a scholarship. He's 6'2, 215, had a horrible time when he was being recruited, but was what, what was heard at the time. Probably faster than that. Definitely not a burner, but one of those guys with just really long arms, great catch radius, great route. It's going to be really tough to stop on those possession routes. And then you've got just a whole lot of guys. You've got freshman Armani Winfield, who's a 6'2", 190 kid that has great speed and great routes. Those three figure to be your main guys as it's kind of your big receiver outside, but you've got so many high upside guys to fill in the other spots. You've got Jalen Ellis, 4'3 guy, Seth Jones, 
you return Gavin Holmes, who is a productive player for Baylor early in his career, who's been dealing with a lot of injuries during his career. Javon Gibson, Jordan Neighbors, um, then Cameron Bonner figures to be one of the more dangerous deep threats on the roster. You've got so much plus athleticism. If just one or two of those guys just really catch on to join Baldwin, you're going to have something reliable, something good, and it's going to really help this offense take another step. Yeah, I think I think the wide receivers, I know they're concerned going in with some of the stuff you mentioned, just inexperience overall. you got guys coming back from injury, guys transferring in, some young guys. But overall, I, I think the wide receiver unit could be pretty good for Baylor. Like, I think this might be the group that's getting slept on a little bit by kind of the national media and some people that – aren't paying attention to Baylor as much as, you know, guys that write for Sikkim 365 are. Is that, is that a fair assumption? I, I think it's fair. Um, I just, for the last decade or so, unless you're talking about Rice or UTEP, I just never, ever assume that school from the state of Texas is not going to have receivers <laughs> that, that can play. Um, <laughs> you, you know, if you're at the FBS level, I mean, Look at it. I mean, SMU had an elite track guy get drafted. I've seen years where UTSA had some dangerous dudes. I mean, it's you just you have. To, I just assume it until proven otherwise. Say that's safe to assume that. And and Sam, really, the last group we haven't hit on before we get to kind of some questions on Baylor's season outlook. The tight ends, Dabney and Sims. I've seen some articles, I believe Travis Radier wrote some stuff on Sikkim 365 about Baylor maybe going more 12 personnel, maybe more two tight end sets because they have those guys returning. Is that is that something you agree with? Do you see that happening this year because they have the talent like that returning a tight end? I think they definitely have probably the best combination of guys at tight end that they've had far back as I can remember. And Ben Sims is probably the best blocking and receiving combination tight end that Baylor's had in ages. And Daphne's really coming into his own. So you've got two guys that are 6'4", 6'5", 250 that can get open on routes, that can block in line, that you can line them up in the slot. You can do a lot with those guys. As far as whether Baylor gets more into 12 personnel or even 22 personnel, You've you've got the ability to do that on a game plan by game plan basis. You know, if you're dealing with a lot of dime sets that aren't necessarily all that equipped to handle those kind of sets. Yeah, that makes an awful lot of sense. But it really depends on who you're facing. It depends on the matchups you're facing. And you've got some guys that they really like behind there. Gavin Yates came on as an extra blocker a lot last fall and was pretty impressive. For a young guy and then they really like newcomers kelsey joe's kelsey johnson and cody ladinka i always butcher that name um <laughs> but you've got a lot of upside with those guys and it gives you a lot of flexibility because without wide zone running if you can get that going with that offensive line and get those tight ends in there it's going to make for some pretty simple one-on-one -on -one situations on the outside if you can really get those edges with those tight ends, you can really formation some people and some interesting looks that make it easy on the quarterback and tough on the defense. Yeah, I, 
I'm going to be really interested to see kind of who the who the leading receivers are at the end of the season. Is it one of these tight ends or is it is it one of the receivers we talked about? Because I, I really like Dabney and Sims. Yeah, Sims figures to be a contender. Baldwin figures to be a contender. And whoever's the primary receiver opposite Baldwin, those would be your three contenders for who leads them. But my personal opinion is I really don't care who ends up leading them. I just <laughs> care that the offense is productive and whoever has the best matchup. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so we kind of broke down the whole team there, Sam. Thanks for taking us through that. That was good stuff. Just kind of your season outlook. What what do you think Baylor's season win total is? Do you think they win the Big 12? Is this a team that competes for the playoff? And what are what are your kind of general overall thoughts? Or what have you, when you're talking with the other six and 365 guys, what is your kind of outlook for this team? Well, I know that a lot of the Baylor fan base, based off how well you did last season that's the starting point for anybody's expectations. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've seen fan bases that lost basically everybody assume just because you won last year, you're going to win again. It's usually um, me. <laughs> you know, so you've, you've got a lot coming back and expectations are high for a reason. I'd be very surprised if they didn't finish at least third in the big 12 at the very least. I tend to be a little more pessimistic in my viewpoints. Um, which leads to a lot of boo this man um, on some of my game predictions from the site. But, uh, you know, I think you're looking at a nine and three, eight and four as a reasonable expectation. And I think they could definitely get to the big 12 title game, but it really depends on how well that passing game and that pass defense gel, you know, that back seven on defense and the skill guys on offense, if those gel, you could definitely make a playoff run. If they don't, you might not make the Big 12 title game. You know, just because you won it last year doesn't mean you make it back. You know, right. just the very year before this run where the defensive line was so dominant, you lost three or four guys on your defensive line and you had to play walk-on, a converted center, and you had to play some of the guys that are more natural fits at end at defensive tackle. And while your defense was good, it really wasn't the lockdown unit it was. If that happens here, you've definitely got a lot more depth to deal with it. But if it happens at a different position, for instance, that can easily derail you. So I'm thinking nine and three, eight and four is a reasonable expectation with the possibility of more if you gel. Yeah, I like that. I, and I understand where you're coming from with the kind of being more pessimistic. Kate and I do that at times with Oklahoma State, but... I, I'm high on Baylor. I think, I, I mean, I love Aranda. I, is everyone pretty pumped on the, on the Baylor in the Baylor fan base about that contract extension for him going, what is it like through 2029 or something like that? Uh, there are three people in Waco that can probably do no wrong in people's eyes. Um, that's <laughs> Dave Aranda, Scott Drew and Mac Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge Aranda guy. I don't know if we, I know we've talked a little bit off, uh, on Twitter and stuff like that, but I grew up a uh, big LSU fan. Both my parents went there. So just knowing him from his time at LSU and then going to Baylor, I've always been a, been a big fan. Oh, uh, 
Yeah, he he definitely had a great tenure before he got there, but some of the games he had at LSU were just impressive with what he was able to scheme up. I think they sacked Lamar Jackson yet again. Um, you want to talk about <laughs> simulated pressures and creepers. That game was a master class. I mean, that film probably needs to be its own coaching clinic. And speaking of Aranda, he's had his way with our own Spencer Sanders the last question for you before we wrap up, how do you see that game going? So Oklahoma State will be coming off a bye week, actually, playing Baylor. They've got the really early bye right after the non-con. How do you think that game goes for Baylor and for Oklahoma State? Who's the winner? Well, as it stands right now, I'm, I'm leaning Baylor, and uh, here's why. I'm not sure what Oklahoma State's going to have with the defensive coordinator switch. Um, I have a lot of respect for last year's DC and Mason is very accomplished and I'm probably letting the fact that I previewed his Vandy team color my perception and the fact that <laughs> Taylor had like 60 plus yards per drive against that Vandy team um, color my perception. But while I think he's very good, I, I think the DC you had before was really, really good. And then also on the back end of Oklahoma State's defense, both corners are gone. Two of your three safeties are gone as well as a backup safety. Both your linebackers are gone. You know, that's a lot to replace. And then there's a new system. So you don't have, oh, well, I've been training in the system for two, three years. You know, you don't have that much in terms of learning this particular system to fall back on. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of talent up front, and there are three guys at Jack that I think most defensive coordinators in the conference would crawl on glass to get. So there's definitely a lot of talent. But how well that comes together is a question. And then on the other side of the ball, Oklahoma State has to run it better. Against the other Power 5 teams they played, they had 3.2 yards per non-sack carry against Baylor. And they had five yards per non-sack carry against the other power five teams they've played. It, and Baylor was not really crowding the line against them. So if that doesn't change, it's going to be all on Sanders again. And then it's Oklahoma State without Tay Martin. How does the new guy who becomes your lead dog outside, how does that materialize? How does Baylor secondary? That's going to be something where I feel like Baylor is going to own the trenches on that side of the ball. So just based off where the question marks are, it's going to be interesting to see. But right now I'm leaning Baylor. And depending on what month you ask me and how the season's going for either of us, I could easily flip my opinion. I got a lot of respect for what Gundy's done up there and never underestimate what he's doing. Yeah, and Sam, those are all great points. It's almost like you, uh, you listened to Cade and I's recent podcast where we did a way too early depth chart breakdown of offense and defense because a lot of those concerns you mentioned are the same ones we have I, i'm i'm worried about this game from an oklahoma state fan perspective i i'm not sure who i'm picking yet if you made me like you said you could ask me you know next week i'd have a different answer i'm leaning oklahoma state right now just because they'll have that a little bit of extra time to prepare and i know spencer sanders will really want to perform well in this game but Knowing Spencer Sanders, that could be a bad thing if <laughs> he's trying to take too much, too much on his shoulder. So we'll see. I really appreciate the breakdown, Sam. You were awesome. I, I just wanted to kind of shout out. I know 
it's a Baylor website at Sikkim 365, but I'm a subscriber. Sam's pre-game like previews of the other team. He does an analytical breakdown, X's and O's, and a personnel breakdown. They are awesome. I use a lot of that info to help me do my breakdowns for other teams. The stuff he writes X's and O's wise for Baylor is awesome. All those guys do a great job. They've got a bunch of podcasts over there. I don't know, Sam, if there's anything you want to plug. I know you have some realignment stuff coming out, but just wanted to kind of shout you guys out because I think you do a great job over there. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, most game weeks, I'll be breaking down the opponent we play with stats, some high level looks at what schemes they run, as well as uh, what kind of roster are they returning in terms of experience, in terms of athleticism. So from there, that, that's what I'm typically doing in season. And here in the coming weeks, I'm probably going to drop some television numbers just with all the realignment craziness going on, comparing Big 12 with and without Texas and Oklahoma <laughs> to uh, some of the other power conferences you're seeing and really trying to put those numbers in context because you're really looking across networks. You're looking at some schools have 10 games a year broadcast. Some schools have like three. You know, uh, the top three games of your inventory is obviously going to rate better than the top 10 of your inventory in the vast majority of cases. So we'll have some things breaking that down that it might have a little more appeal outside the Baylor fan base. Yeah, we'll definitely, when you put that on your Twitter, we will retweet that from the Feels Like 45 podcast account. And Sam, where, where can everybody follow you on Twitter if they want to check some of that stuff out? Yeah, my Twitter handle is at Baylor underscore S11. What is the what is the S11? That used to be kind of what you went by on Sikkim 365 as well, right? Yeah, it gets into uh, how I originated on the site. Um, okay. It's one of those things where it was almost like a pen name, but it was just the original username I had when I first started doing previews. And then eventually when I came on staff, instead of just contributing that's when the pen name got dropped so well that is uh that is awesome i love the going from the pen name to the to the big time sam bradshaw full name on the site so big time um sam we we loved having you on uh sorry we had the technical difficulties with kate he was a he had to drop i know he really was excited about this interview so that sucks but you know kate will be kate will be on more i don't really don't really feel that bad for him. So, but Sam, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And we will try to touch base with you again, maybe later on in the season and see how everything ends up. Sounds great. Good luck to you guys. And here's hoping both of our schools do well this fall and be a great time for us to potentially meet back in the big 12 title game again. For sure. Well, that was a lot of fun. Dustin, uh, thank you for flying the ship as, as <laughs> things broke on my end. Um, you guys don't get to see how the sausage is made, but uh, our man Dustin really held it down and appreciate you doing that. And sorry, but um, it was great. That was a great interview. Sam's a wealth of knowledge. And uh, again, Dustin, great job. I mean, any, any what, what's your one takeaway from that, from that interview? I feel like Sam just does a good job of breaking stuff down realistically. Like he doesn't come on and, you know, say Baylor's going to beat everybody by a hundred points. He no projected maybe they lose three or four games you know i and that's the team that most people are picking to win the big 12 so i just appreciate his kind of overall honesty and solid 
I think just breakdowns of everything he talks about. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. One, one thing I was thinking is as you guys were talking, Baylor and Oklahoma state remind me of each other. Like yeah. it seems like their strengths and weaknesses and departures in the off season kind of uh, match a little bit. And so that's something I'll be keeping an eye on as we go into next season. But um, Dustin, it was a great show. We don't have time for Twitter questions this evening uh, as, as with uh, technical difficulties and everything else. I mean, you guys don't even know the half of it. So um, we will get <laughs> to those next week. I promise you. Um, but please bear with us as we, uh, and understand we, we tried, we really did. Um, but we're yeah. going to bring you a podcast this week. So that's all we can really hope for at this point. I just wanted to say this was not all on Cade. I had my own difficulties on my end. Uh, it got off the rails for a little bit. So we're, uh, we, we were able to finish it, but it was a wild ride. Guy almost let's, died. Let's just no, say just a trip, a trip to a hospital was involved. And that's true. So that's that actually it. Is true. <laughs> all right, Dustin. Appreciate you, brother. I will talk to you next week. In the meantime, go folks.